According to Jesus, this is the second greatest commandment. But do we strive to practice it? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. This is uh, not going to be one of those sensationalistic shows. We're not going to be playing some clips where you're ooing and ah, oh, I can't believe that. Not getting into the craziest, wildest, latest news. Not trying to get more clicks by having some catchy title in our description. No, I just want to talk to you about the basics. I, I want to fulfill my role as to why I am on the air serving each of you. Michael Brown. Welcome to the broadcast. It is the day before Thanksgiving. And uh, God willing, we will be live on Black Friday. So able to take your calls many times. That's a day when you're not working. you got time off and it's a time you can call in. Normally you can't during work or with school or things like that. So by all means, join us. Even if you're not calling in, of course, join us live and we'll have a special broadcast for you. Yeah, if you decide Thanksgiving, it's like it's the middle of the day. What should we do? Well, We'll have a special broadcast waiting for you as well. All right. Here's the number to call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. As I did yesterday, I want to do again today. Any subject, phone lines are open, political, cultural, biblical, theological, personal, spiritual, you name it. And because we won't be taking live calls on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, it'll be Thoroughly Thanksgiving Thursday tomorrow. If you got a Jewish-related question as well, phone lines are open, 866-34-TRUTH. <clears throat> I've said this before. Let me say it again. When the uh, most outspoken prophets were loudly, strongly proclaiming that Trump would be reelected, that Trump would have four more years, when, when that was coming forth and that message was going out and Obviously, it didn't happen, and they were wrong. In my book, The Political Seduction of the Church, I have two whole chapters devoted to it, the wrongness of it, and then how these errors creep in, how these kinds of things happen, how so many could be so deceived. The, the bigger issue, when you think back, is, is that you would expect prophets sent by God not to be just predicting the future, let alone getting the future wrong. Okay, obviously, they weren't sent by God with that message, clearly. And then you question how many are truly prophets. That's another question. But you would think if they were prophets sent by God, that they would mainly be telling us what we need to change, what's wrong, what we need to prepare for, what's coming, as opposed to predicting the future alone. In other words, it'd be one thing if prophet, and, and I'm, I'm going to get to my point in a moment about the, the commandment that we often neglect and something so essential and so close to God's heart. This is where I'm going. All right. So it would be one thing if prophets told us what was coming so we could prepare for trouble. Like in Acts 11, where Agabus prophesies that there's going to be a famine. So the believers listen to it. They realize it's from the Lord. All right, let's take up a collection because famine hits. It's going to be really hard on the poor believers in Jerusalem. Let's take up a collection for them. So there's preparation. Right, so if there, if there was a, a prophecy about something to come where we needed to be warned, or some good thing that was to come if we would humble ourselves and seek God. That's one thing. But just abstract information about who's going to be elected 
in reality, that's not much different than abstract information about who's going to win the Super Bowl in football or right now the World Cup in soccer, what the world calls football we call soccer. Who's going to win that? And just a side note, for those that are Americans, it's very difficult to understand the significance of the World Cup. But to give you a glimpse, in a massive, this is a total tangent here, in a massive, unprecedented upset, Saudi Arabia defeated Argentina, which has one of the the world's two greatest players on it, Lionel Messi, defeated Argentina 2-1 to one and proclaimed a national holiday because of it. And this is just preliminary rounds, but that's how big that is. But anyway, just, so it was a total tangent, unrelated to everything, just a total tangent. Okay. But when it comes to prophetic activity, I would think that the prophetic messengers would be talking about idolatry in the church or looking to the arm of the flesh or division in our midst or, or those kinds of things, lack of love and, and our wrong attitudes and, and so on and so forth, as opposed to giving us a prediction about the future that turned out to be wrong on top of it. And, and one of the greatest issues, one of the greatest problems in the church is we got so politicized and we got so caught up for Trump against Trump and emotions ran so high that we deeply neglected one of the most fundamental commandments, something near and dear to God's heart, namely to love our neighbors ourself, namely to love one another as Jesus loved us. We completely neglected that. I wrote a chapter, some, uh, excuse me, yeah, I wrote a chapter in one of my Trump-related books called Have We Failed the Love Test? And I had scripture after scripture after scripture about the love we're to have one for another and then compared it to our conduct, our attacking viciousness. I mean, even Thanksgiving and holidays, families had to say, okay, no political talk because the families would be, I'm talking about believing families would be at each other's throats, emotions running so high. And it's only going to get more intense with the coming years leading up to the 2024 elections. Logically, that's what we can expect things to just intensify. I wrote an article, and instead of they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. No, they'll know we are Christians by our hate, by our hate. That was the title of the article. They'll know, by, they'll know we are Christians by our hate, by our hate. We, we were no better than the world. And I would think that prophetic voices would be speaking to us, not saying four more years for Trump, but we need to repent and get our own act in order get our own act together. Now, it's true that the commandment in, in Leviticus 19, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and then repeated elsewhere in the Hebrew scriptures, then of course on the words, on the lips of Jesus in the New Testament in different forms. And Jesus saying that the greatest commandment is to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the next greatest is to love our neighbors ourselves. It's true that traditional Judaism discusses that and says, well, well who is Reecha, who is your, na- your, your neighbor? That's a fellow Jew, that's a fellow Israelite, including converts to Judaism. So although you should treat all people kindly, unless they're your enemies, uh, it, the command to love your neighbor as yourself only applies to a fellow Jew. <clears throat> and of course, you can see that sentiment already in, in Luke 10, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, when, when Jesus responds to one of the Jewish lawyers who says, well, who's my neighbor? Okay, love my neighbor as myself, but who's my neighbor? And then Jesus paints this whole picture and says, and shows the Samaritan is the one who acts like a neighbor. He says, now you go and do likewise. You be a neighbor to people who are different to you. You be a neighbor to those that that are on the other side of the fence. You be a neighbor to those who have different customs and you show that love. So love your neighbors yourself is not just within the church. 
within the church, we even have a higher ethic, love one another as Jesus loved us, which is an, an even greater call to sacrificial love articulated. And we're going to look at the word about this in a moment. But the, the reason I'm focusing on this, Nancy and I were talking about this in the aftermath of the Club Q massacre, the horrific massacre, now another massacre at Walmart today. I mean, it's shedding of blood, shedding of innocent blood, so many families devastated, so many lives destroyed. I mean, I, I can't, I, I try to imagine it, but I can't imagine it. I've never had anything like that happen. And, and unless it's happened to your family, you've been touched by it, it's, it's hard to even imagine what this could be like. And it's even different than being in war where you know there are going to be casualties every day and, and, and that risk is there. It's just people going to work. Or in the other case, people just going to, to a bar. Not a, the last thing they're thinking is this the last thing I'm ever going to do is, is go there and I'll be killed. All this bloodshed, the horror of it. But I, I've been talking this week about the people attacking me. Well, you're the cause of stuff like this. So I said, so excuse me. When I, when I say that whoever you are, LGBTQ+, however you identify, that you're created in God's image just as I am, but we're all fallen, that Jesus died for you the same as he died for me, and that in the midst of my differences, I'm going to teach you with love and respect that based on that, someone's going to go out and murder somebody? Come on, please, please. And, of course, we were never told what the shooter's motive was, the alleged shooter, what his motive was. Uh, the longer it went, the longer I'm thinking something's not right here in terms of the narrative because you would have heard something already. If something would have come out about the person. Well, it turns out, according to the court papers, that the individual, the name being used was not his original name. So all those say, oh, we traced the name and the grandfather was a Trump Republican. Forget that. Forget that. Because the guy changed his name. And, and it turns out he changed his name to distance himself from the father who was allegedly violent to the family and left the family and was a, a porn star and an MMA, MMA fighter. And in any case... The guy in the court papers, the alleged shooter, is identified as non-binary. Identified as non-binary and using the pronouns they, them. Huh. So maybe it wasn't some crazed right-wing Christian homophobic white supremacist insurrectionist who wanted to kill all the gays. Hmm, maybe that narrative is falling apart. Still horrific bloodshed. Still horrific suffering. Well, but at a shooting range, you use gay slurs. He could use gay slurs the way a black person uses the N-word. You know what I'm saying? You could, and, and the people said, oh, but it's n never like he was going to hurt people. The guy could just be mentally ill. All right? He could be demonized, and it could have shot up any place. We, we simply do not know. But here's the problem. When we have an aggressive agenda coming our way that we speak out against, when we take issue with the sexualizing of our children, we take issue with these different things, those pushing for chemical castration, general mutilation of, of children. We take issue with the curriculum in the schools, when we take issue with other aspects of gay activism, when we take issue with Disney going woke and having to have more and more gay and lesbian characters in their, in their films and things like that, and pushing things down our throats that, that we object to, right? And we, when we speak up against it and speak out against, oh, you're a hater, that's the strategy of calling us haters creates hate. The rhetoric that I'm going to use is going to draw clear lines, but you're going to walk away. When I teach others in churches, I say the first thing we need is a, is, a, is a broken heart, a baptism of love for those who identify as LGBTQ. So here's the problem. On the one hand, we're going to address an agenda. On the one hand, parents are going to be upset with stuff happening in the schools. 
Uh, on the other hand, your average gay, lesbian, trans, bi-identified person is not an activist. It's, it's not trying to get a curriculum in schools. It's, it's not advocating for biological boys to be in bathrooms with biological girls. Your average person is just seeking to live their life. And could well be your neighbor, or your brother or sister, or your friend, your coworker. How do we cultivate love for our neighbor? How, how, how are we known for our love more than for our stance on righteousness or, or both together in one spirit? How can we live that out? How, and how can we have God's heart above all? God's heart for others. The, the heart that ultimately causes Jesus to go to the cross to die for them, to die for me, to die for you. How can we have God's heart? Love our neighbor in the world that doesn't know the Lord that differs with us and then love one another in the body. It's big. It's really, really big. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. 866-348-7884 is the number to call. You've got questions. We've got answers. We do that on Friday, but we're, we're doing it as much as we can this week as well. I'll get your calls in a little while. Let me just talk a little bit more about love. I know, I know, if anyone would know how upsetting some of the social, moral, and cultural issues are, I would, because I talk about it all the time on the radio. I write about it all the time in op-eds. I read whole books on the subject. I'm asked to speak on these things in America, other nations. So I'm aware. And I know things can be very upsetting. I'm just talking about one issue, but there's so many issues in society that, that are very grievous. And they're, they're wicked people on the left, on the right, in the middle, human beings. They're, they're wicked people doing wicked things. How can we love them? I mean, we're not talking about not using force when needed. Meaning, if you're in a war, if it's World War II, and you're trying to kill the Nazis before they kill you and break their power over Germany, over Europe, to push back massive evil, you don't, you don't try to love the soldier at that moment in terms of, okay, I, I'm, not, I'm just going to let him shoot me because I, I, I don't want to hurt him. No, it's a war, and it's a, necessary, it's a necessary thing to do to stop more evil from spreading. I'm not talking about if someone breaks into your home and you have the opportunity to subdue that person. Let's say you're, you're the, the, the guy, the husband, and, and you're six foot three and 220 pounds of, of, of muscle, and, and you are skilled in, in all types of self-defense and, and <clears throat> judo and karate, who knows, whatever, you know, or ta uh, taekwondo, whatever, whatever the thing is. Okay, I'm thinking of something else, just not coming to mind. And, and you could easily subdue the person breaking in and hold them there, and maybe break an arm in the process before they, they kill your family, hold them there before the police comes. That's a good thing to do. That's the right thing to do. We're not talking about that. But... Do you have a desire to see that person be whole? Do you have a desire to see that person repent? Do, do you wish in your heart that that Nazi would, would put down their gun and surrender and, and repent of the evil that they're part of? There, there can be love in the midst of carrying out our role. A policeman is rightly going to subdue somebody. You know, here's someone they catch breaking and entering and, and they, 
stop right there, hands up, hands in the air, and they, they put them on the ground, they handcuff them behind their back, they hold them there until they get other help. That's a right thing to do, but that policeman could say, man, I'm praying for you, buddy, to get your life in order. Uh, I, I want to see you get right with God. There can be love in the midst of it. God sees people differently than we do. Yes, he sees evil that we don't see. He sees corruption and hypocrisy that we don't see. But he also sees people created in his image. He also sees people for whom his son died. He also sees people that could one day shine for him. Look at what some of us were when, when, when he saved us. I mean, we were wretches, miserable people, wicked, evil people. Some of us really doing harm. And God saved us and transformed us. So we need to, to have that perspective. And then it should really be that even people are not nice to us, that we still love them. Doesn't Jesus talk about this? If you love those who love you, how are you better than anybody else? I, I mean, I've done it. I try to be friendly to everybody and smile. And, and you know, whether it's a checkout counter at the grocery store or someone at the airline or whatever, I do my best. And if I ever fall short, I immediately try to fix it. You know, the times I, I get agitated because there's an error uh, that the airlines made, my seat changed, or the, I'm not on the flight I'm supposed to be, and I have to be there to speak. It's an international conference, and I'm, I'm the speaker, and they botch things, and, and it was human error, and I get a little agitated immediately. I say, I'm so sorry. You're doing your best. And I'll tell them, I'm a minister of the gospel. I should, I should do better than that. I am so sorry. And they're always polite, and no, no, sir, you're fine. But to me, that's important. I, I've got to be a witness. I've got to demonstrate that love. So it should be that if you're my neighbor, you're a Muslim, you're a Hindu, you're a religious Jew, you're gay, you're, you're bi, you're trans, you're an atheist, you're a fellow believer, it should be that I show you love. It should be that, that you know me as a loving, to the extent you know me, as a loving, caring person that's really interested in your well-being. It's, it's, a, command, it's, it's a command, it's big. It's not our nature to do this. It's not in our nature. When I was newly saved, and for probably a few years I did this every single day, I would pray through 1 Corinthians 13 for my own life. One reason was because I had a vicious temper before I was saved, and I was incredibly nasty and just cut people with my tongue and full of hate and judgmentalism. So this is something I prayed about regularly over the years, and then as the years went on, as I got engaged in other aspects of ministry, say from 2004 on, LGBT issues, etc. I, I knew it's one thing to, to, to have an issue with the agenda and to have that prophetic burden to push back against something wrong in the society. But what about the people? What about the people? So I really went to the Lord and, and I sat with local gay activists. I made appointments just so they could share their stories with me. I read all the books that I get my hands on. Stories of those that said I, I tried to leave, you know, I, I tried to be ex-gay, but I couldn't. I was just putting on an act and, and I only found wholeness when I, when I embraced my gay identity. I you know, read the stories of called gay Christians and different ones and other activists, secular, secular, and try to see the world through their eyes until my heart broke for them. Because I knew that was God's, I knew that was God's heart. One pastor said that the people in my generation, some 67, when we hear the word homosexuality, we think an issue. A young person hears it, they think a person. And we're talking about both people and issues. And it's, it's very difficult. If you're going to address moral, cultural issues in your church, which pastors, you need to, because this is the world your people live in. 
This is the world that the kids, young people live in. This is the environment they're surrounded by. These are the questions that they're dealing with. Should I go to this gay wedding or not? What happens when my best friend comes out as trans? What, what about the kid comes home from kindergarten with a, a book they're reading or first grader? You know, King and King that ends with the two kings, you know, the princes kissing and becoming kings. And what do you do? How do you respond? What about my 15-year-old my daughter's on TikTok now and, and says that she has multiple personalities and some of them are male and some of them are female, so she wants to become trans. She identifies as trans. This is the world they live in. Or, or what happens when some really bad thing happens in the school, like in the Loudoun County schools reportedly where, where a, a, a guy who identifies as a girl went to the girl's bathroom and raped a girl there, and, and then the school board tried to cover it over, according to the reports. And you're an outrage as a parent. How do you, on the one hand, deal with that without cultivating an attitude of hatred towards your average person who identifies as gay or lesbian, who is also appalled at what happened with the rape? How do you deal with that? So we, we must cultivate this where we have God's heart. And you say, that's just not in me. Correct. Which is why we go to God. And we say, God, would you share your heart with me? Just talking to Nancy about this, and she said, you should really pray even more for that. Pray for, when, when you're with the Lord. Father, pour your love into me. Pour your love into me. We're going to read from 1 John in a little while. We're going to take some calls and then go back to the scriptures. We're talking about within the church, the body. But doesn't scripture say God is love? Some of us know the anger of God, the righteousness of God the justice of God, the wrath of God, the holiness of God. But we don't know the love of God. Yet God is, in his very essence, love. And it was Samuel Logan Brengel, one of the Salvation Army early leaders, who described holiness as pure love. How about holiness not as what you do and don't do, Holiness is I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't run around with the ladies. You know, the guys be the old line, the, the joke. No, no, not, not holiness defined in that way, but holiness is pure love. And, and Brangle was a holiness preacher in terms of don't do this, don't do this, turn away from sin, live righteously. But if we, if we want to be Christ-like, Jesus the Messiah laid his life down for his enemies, for those who hated him. Because he saw them as potential friends. He saw them as, as ones that would one day be part of his family. So he, he lays down his life. When he's being crucified, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And even after his resurrection, when he's still rejected by the Jewish leadership, Peter says, you didn't know what you were doing. You, you, you acted ignorantly. Paul says that, that the Lord had mercy on him, even though he was a persecutor even though he was a blasphemer, even though he was a violent man because he acted ignorantly and in unbelief. A whole lot of people are acting in ignorance. There, there are ultra-Orthodox Jews that spit at the name of Jesus, Yeshua as they call him. They spit at his name. But they have no idea who he is. The Yeshua that they know was a sorcerer, was an idolater who, who led Israel uh, into idolatry. The Yeshua that they know goes straight from the New Testament to the Holocaust. There's a straight line in their mind. That's the one they're spitting at, cursing. They don't know who he really is. And so many people are, are acting in ignorance and unbelief, 
But when they meet us, if they can see love, as I've said for many years, if, if you cut us, we should bleed love. Yes, we take issue with things and we will speak out, but we're not out to demonize everyone. That's one thing. And secondly, even those we differ with profoundly, we still love, we still pray for, we still get alone and weep for them and say, God, open their hearts, have mercy on them as you had mercy on us. Love your neighbors, yourself, not an option, a command. Do we even strive to do it? Is, is it even a holy goal that we have before the Lord? Do we pray about it? Let me be the voice of God to each of us today saying, it's a command. It's a big command. Everything flows out of that loving God, loving our neighbor. We come back and we go the phones. And then after that, we can talk about loving one another in the church. Mm-hmm. That's where we go. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on the Line of Fire, 866-34-TRUTH. Going to take some calls and then get back to the scriptures. A couple things before we go to the phones. One, if you haven't downloaded the, oh, well, tell you what, we've been talking about the app. Make sure you get on my email list. Towards the end of the year, we send out a lot of important emails. Sometimes we'll have special resource offers, ways that we can partner together. Um, so much to share with you. And then as, as always, we put you on our welcome tour. Thousands have gone through it this year. People really enjoying finding out more about my background story, what our ministry can do to serve and equip you and, and to infuse you with faith and truth and courage so, so you can stand strong in the Lord. So sign up today. AskDrBrown.org, ASKDRBrown.org. Just click to get our emails, and you'll also get a free mini ebook on how to pray for America. That's one thing. The other thing, just more broadly, you are listening to this broadcast for a reason. It's not as, as a gossip columnist, you know, with the latest dirt and salacious report. It's not just as another conservative talking head giving political opinions and stirring up anger and stuff like that. No, our, our role is to be your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. That's why we're here. That's why we're, you're, you're listening. So everything I'm talking about today, love one another, it's so important. Love your neighbors yourself. If we fail here, we fail everywhere. I mean, 1 Corinthians 13, we can have all these great ministry accomplishments and be mega anointed and mega men and mega women of God, but if we don't have love, it's nothing. It's nothing. And, and so much of the secular reporting stirs anger, gets, gets you upset, gets you fearful, gets you angry, gets you more. Whereas you can have a, a true burden and be truly active and standing for what's right but you're, you're burdened by love, not by hate. And, and you're moved by the spirit, not by carnal anger. It's a big, big difference. And, and by God's grace, I, I want to be that voice saying, love your neighbor, love, love one another, love your neighbor, love one another. All right, let's go to the phones. And we'll go over to Jesse in Twin Cities, Minnesota. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Thanks for taking my call. You bet. Um, my question is about 
uh, whether or not there were prophets and apostles that were um, Gentiles at the time of the writing of the Bible. So I'm going to try to unpack this. It won't take very long, but I'm what I'm seeing in Ephesians is uh, Ephesians 1, 3 to 11, it says us. That's how Paul refers to the people. And then um, in Ephesians 2.20, he tells us who the us is, at least that's what I can see, is based on the foundations of the apostles and prophets. And uh, I think in Ephesians 1.9, it says, uh, God made known the mystery to us. Anyways, the, the curious thing here is that, as I said, us in Ephesians 1.3 to 11, uh, in Ephesians 1.13... It says, in him you also. And after Ephesians 2.20, it says, in Ephesians 2.22, in him you also. So I'm having a bit of confusion about uh, whether or not these foundation, the foundation of the apostles and prophets included any of the Gentiles, if you could clear that up. Thanks. Yeah, so the, the difference between the us and them, right? So, so the, the you of the Ephesians and the, and the apostles and prophets is not a difference between Jew and Gentile because there were, there were Jewish believers among the Ephesians as well. They weren't all Gentile. But the difference is, is between the general believers and the leaders. That's, that's the difference. Like when Hebrews 13, 17 says, obey those who have authority over you. So it's not a difference between Jew and Gentile, but between the believers and the leaders. So the apostles and prophets were the ones that were being spoken of here who were the foundation layers, and whether they were Jew or Gentile is not the issue. It, it wasn't you, the general believer, the body as a whole, but these particular leaders and the role they had. He could have just as well been talking in another context about the pastors and teachers and how they serve you. So it's not a Jewish-Gentile distinction. And then in Ephesians 4, there's no Jew-Gentile distinction there in terms of God giving apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to the body. Now, when you, when you go through the New Testament, uh, it doesn't mention, it, it mentions a few prophets by name like Agabus. It mentions Philip having four daughters who prophesy. So uh, Philip, certainly a Jewish believer. Agabus presumed to be a, a Jewish believer, but it, it, I don't know that the text ever says that explicitly. There are a number of people referred to as apostles uh, in the New Testament were all of them Jews, could be, but not necessarily. But there is absolutely nothing in terms of being an emissary. So we're not talking about the, the 12 apostles separate, right? We're talking about others called apostles, like uh, Acts 14, 14, it says that Barnabas and Paul themselves apostles. So Barnabas, along with Paul, they're called apostles there. So there's nothing that would indicate that there were not apostles and prophets who were Gentile, not a hint of it. Whether they're named or not, it might just be a matter of the very first ones we're going to be Jewish because of the order of things. But certainly, uh, we have attested in, in terms of the early church when it's referencing people, there, there's nothing about them only being Jewish. So aside from the 12, we know who they were. Plenty of other apostles and prophets in New Testament times, and they're just part of the body. Nothing, nothing I'm, I'm not aware of a stitch of references anywhere in the early church saying that they were all Jewish or had to be for any reason. Thank you so much. You are, yeah, you are very welcome. And again, the big thing is the difference between the you and them is not Jew Gentile, but leader and believer as a, as a whole. In fact, uh, 
Before I get over to First John, which I want to read to you, I, I just want to go to Ephesians 4 and point something out, okay? Ephesians, the fourth chapter, why I believe that apostles and prophets are for today. I, I've gotten into this at length, all right? I, I believe they've been with us through church history, but not always called by those names, that there are people who function as apostles and prophets, but they haven't been called by those names. And calling them by those names is only important to recognize how they've been gifted and how they function, right? Like if, if, if I'm a teacher of the word and you bring me in to do mass evangelism, you'll be disappointed because what I'm going to be doing is teaching the Bible and what the Bible says. And let me explain what the Bible says about evangelism, whereas the evangelist is going to be given that proclamation and invitation and anointed by God to, to bring people in. In the same way, if you brought someone gifted to be an evangelist into your church and, and you were expecting them to do an exegetical study of, of the book of Romans, you'd be disappointed because that, instead they'd be looking for who's, who's lost at the Bible study, trying to get them saved or, or get the believers to get out on the streets and, 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 win, and win the lost. They get to Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, let's go out and preach. In the same way, if someone is, is primarily called to be a prophet and they're brought into pastor congregation, unless that gifting is recognized and unless you raise up a, a, a group of pastors to then shepherd the flock, then that, that, that prophet is going is gonna to call for a whole lot of repentance. It's not necessarily going to, excuse me, build the body up in the healthiest way without pastoral help. So it's important to recognize gifting. The, the, the titles are, are meaningless in that regard. In other words, we're not looking for a title. We're not looking for something else to be attached to our name. It's just to recognize a gifting, to recognize a function. But look at what Paul writes in Ephesians 4. He's talking about Jesus ascending to heaven. And he says in Ephesians 4, 9, I'm saying, in saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth, or the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And... He gave, so Jesus, the risen Messiah, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So <clears throat> the point is, the point here is that these gifts that have been given to the body, these individuals who serve the body in these particular giftings, they are here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That hasn't happened. That hasn't nearly happened. Therefore, I understand that all these ministries, which elsewhere are intertwined, like in 1 Corinthians 12, they're intertwined. You have apostles, prophets, but then you have from teachers to miracles to administration of tongues, they're just weaved in together. And there's no indication that the first two were just temporal. So, yes, we have the 12 apostles. 
We don't have anyone operating like that today. No one has that authority that the 12 apostles had. And, and none of them are writing scripture today. If anyone claims they're bringing scripture level revelation, reject them at that moment. If they say what I'm bringing to you is equal to the Bible or supplements the Bible, reject them at that moment. There's only one word of God in terms of the word of God. God can speak to us and lead us and give prophetic words. That's a, that's a totally different thing. It's not the Bible. But these ministries are here until we reach a certain place, until we get to a certain stature, uh, until we, we are equipped and come into this maturity, which also indicates to me that before the Lord returns, we will come into this maturity. And, and notice the unity of the faith. This is big in God's sight, friends. And this gets us back to loving one another. Unity in Jesus is massive in God's sight. Being one, loving one another, working to help and bless one another, working to build up, not tear down. Oh, yes, correction is part of it, but it must be constructive. If you dare tear something down that's wrong, build up that which is good. And don't pronounce false judgments on one another. Do not superficially judge one another. Jesus says in John 7, 24, don't judge by outward appearance, but make righteous judgments. And everything flows out of a profound love that we're called to have one for another. As one little girl said, I'm one, you're another. That's how it works. All right, first John, we come back. Are you ready to be stretched by the word? Are you? Is it, is it too much? You'd rather just kind of sit back and be told how wonderful life is or ready to be stretched. I want to be stretched. Be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends. 866-34-TRUTH. Let me read to you from 1 John 4, and then we'll go back to the phones. Actually, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to start in verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is within the body. This is people you don't like. This is people whose personalities turn you off. This refers to believers who can be carnal, believers who can be unloving, believers who can be immature, believers who are not perfect. Oh, maybe like you and me, huh? For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. That's how you know you're born again. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. These words sting, friends. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought 
also, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, it closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. All right, I'm going to skip down to chapter 4, and I'm going to start in verse 7. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this, the love of God was made manifest amongst, among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent the son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Nor has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and us because he has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God. God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because for fear it has to do with punishment and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, this is the commandment we have from him, Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Wow. Capital W-O-W. Wow. Friends, let the words sink in. What can I add to that? Let those words sink in. Want to take time if you've got a little holiday break. Let's read through 1 John over and over. It's only five chapters. Read through the relevant verses. It's a lot of them, but read through them over and over. Get on your knees. Say, God, I don't love, I don't have that in my heart. I, some, some you'll be saying, am I even saved? I don't have that love. Say, God, something's missing. I know you're forgiving me my sins, giving me new life, but where's the evidence of love? The fruit of the Spirit is love. Starts there. So you don't, you don't need extended commentary from me on that. Those, those words are so penetrating. Let us be known not just as righteous people, not just as people who have put certain moral and cultural stands and have certain beliefs. Let us be known as people who love and let it begin in the house of God. It doesn't just mean in your own little Bible study, in your own little church or denomination. It means another brother or sister. That's the love that we're to have for them. Yeah, that, and that's God's heart. It shows how, how far we've fallen from his heart. May God help, Lord, help us. Help me, help us to be people of love. All right. I appeal to you, read through First John a few times next few days. Pray over it, all right? Let us go to the phones. 
Uh, Andrew in Hanover, Illinois, welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Mr. Brown. Um, I'm thanking you so much for just your zealousness for the faith and just your love for your career and everything. And I just wanted to thank you for it, sir. Well, you're very welcome. Thanks for saying that. Always, sir. And my question today was just based on Isaiah 54. Like, I can't regard it if it's an end-time prophecy or... And you know what it could be about? I'm having some problem interpreting it. Yeah, so there are at least two levels where this must be understood. Isaiah 40 through 55, dealing with the Jewish people in Babylonian captivity and speaking of their redemption and coming out of captivity. But it's spoken of in not just as a new exodus, but a greater exodus. It's spoken of as being so momentous that the whole earth will see the glory of God, that it will cause the the mountains to to shout and that the nations will learn that the God of Israel is God because of the return of the exiles and their freedom from Babylonian captivity. And in the midst of that is the revelation of the servant of the Lord, the ultimate servant being Yeshua, Jesus, the Messiah himself. And it's after 53, which speaks of the Messiah's death and resurrection, that Israel, who is barren, chapter 54, is called to, to shout. And it's then a picture of Jerusalem protected by God and gloriously adorned. So on the first level, it was applying to the return from Babylonian captivity. However, it did not live up to the expectations. If the prophets, not just Isaiah, but Jeremiah, Ezekiel, were proclaiming 100, it was like a 10 or 15 compared to what was being proclaimed. Even the rebuilding of the temple didn't live up to expectations and the glory of the Lord wasn't there the way it had been with the first temple. So it's something beyond that. And therefore it's, it's speaking of some type of, of end time return. It's speaking of some final thing that God will do in redemption of Israel for the whole world to see through the Messiah's death and resurrection. That being said, the whole Bible is given to us for a purpose. You know, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 11 says that the things that happened before are examples for us, the judgments and the warnings, examples for us. And Romans 15, 4 says that what came before was written to give us hope. And, and 2 Timothy three sixteen says that all scripture, primarily referring to the Hebrew Bible at that point, is inspired by God. And then for verse 17, it's, it's necessary for the man of God to be equipped and to minister. So we can make application. In other words, Isaiah 54 can speak to us who have been redeemed, who have received God's grace uh, through the death and resurrection oh. of Messiah, that there, there is a spiritual application. And God can speak that word. You know, may, maybe you're a missionary overseas and your vision is small and God brings you that word to say expand. I know God used that text to speak to my friend Yesupadam in India to speak to their team one year. Uh, I, I, the first day I was preaching there, I, I, I just felt led to start at a particular text in Second Timothy. But I thought, no, no, back it up two verses and start there. I start reading, and Yesupadam was translating for me, and he just smiles and goes, brother, the verse you're doing, he says, that was our theme for the whole year, and it's the end of the year now. It's like the assessment. He said, and then the next night I'm preaching, and in the middle of my message, feel led to get into Isaiah 54 and start proclaiming that about expand your tense, you know, spiritual application. And he says, brother, that's our theme for the new year that God gave us. So, you know, there can be that spiritual application. And then verse 17, 
In Hebrew, no weapon formed against you will, will succeed. And, and uh, no weapon formed against you uh, will succeed. Every, every time that rises against you in judgment, you'll condemn. It then says, That this is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord and their vindication, their righteousness is for me. So this is even a broader application as servants of the Lord that we can take hold of Isaiah 54, 17. So we understand its original context. We understand its larger uh, end time application. And then we say, how, what does that speak to me? And the Holy Spirit at any time can give us a verse from the Old Testament for personal application. It's not the original context, but we who have been redeemed, who've experienced the grace of the Messiah through his death and resurrection, we are on the other side of Isaiah 53. We're on the Isaiah 54 side. And spiritually, as long as we don't steal the promises, Andrew, we can enjoy them and benefit from them. That's the key. Everything that God gave to Israel is still to Israel. But there can be spiritual application in our own lives. Here's the principle. Here's how it applies to us today. And then the Spirit can say, hey, as I spoke that to Israel, I'm speaking that to you today. Hey, sorry I don't have time for more calls. I wish you a blessed Thanksgiving. We'll have a special best of broadcast for you uh, tomorrow. And then, God willing, Friday, back with you here live. Yeah, Black Friday, but why not? Family's going to be leaving town, so we're going to be here for you. So we'll be taking your calls live. But have an awesome Thanksgiving tomorrow. Enjoy time with God, family. If you're all alone, may the presence of God draw near to you during this season.